Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. It should go without saying I'm your host, Andrew Lewis, and I am here with Cameron McDonald for your Instant Reacts Trade Week podcast. This might be a short one. Cameron, welcome. G'day, partner. It was a bit of a fizzle, wasn't it? it was a... <laughs> I think it's a refreshing cleansing of the palate for everyone, and I want to congratulate them who got through a combined four and a half hours of NBA previews last week. Um, this one will, this one will, this one will be like, uh, an episode of whatever that, uh, consuming passions. Um, just a quick hit five minutes and, and well, it'll be a little longer than five minutes, but, um, <laughs> Four and a half we did, shit. we, <laughs> um, we did, uh, have what someone described as the least eventful trade period in a decade. Uh, only 21 moves, um, including free agency. Um, I think there were a number of teams who didn't get involved at all. Um, what was your what was your headline uh, deal? Instant take, hot take, lukewarm take on what was a lukewarm trade period this year? Ah, uh, well, there's a couple of deals in there that are that are interesting. A couple of nice players. I think Jordan Dawson's a really good get for Adelaide. Uh, I think Adam is a pretty nice get for Carlton. Um, but there's certainly, you know, there are no um, Dangerfield, Lockie Neal type um, fish dangling about this um, this trade period. And you've you got to sort of wonder why. Um, and it just, it it feels like there's a lot of clubs out there that are desperately trying to manage their salary caps um, and uh, COVID sort of cap space reductions and um, different things like that. I mean, I think you've got clubs now anxiously um, trying to avoid uh, what happened at Collingwood last year. And firstly, also let me say that <laughs> this time last year, basically dealing with me crying in the car for a couple of hours as we broke down <laughs> trade period. So um, I'm in a better place this year, but I think that, that, that was a warning to, to all clubs to kind of get their houses in order. So um, there's not a lot of money to kind of prize players out of clubs. Um, and I think that has, that's sort of the, that's what was hovering over the entire trade period is that there just wasn't, you, you you sort of got to pay quite a bit um, these days to get good players out of clubs. Um, and I'd like to talk with you sort of a little bit uh, philosophically about whether it ends up working out for clubs to like really spend big in draft picks and cash to kind of prize out a superstar. Um, but uh, even if clubs wanted to do that this year, I just don't think they could. You know, there was a bit of um, publicity around um, uh, Sydney's cap issues uh, and how George Stewart ends up being uh, the one that falls out and, and they probably don't have the kind of money they would have liked to be able to offer Jordan Dawson due to that, you know, uh, nine-year Buddy Franklin deal, um, you know, um, among other things. But, yeah, that was sort of my main takeaway is that it was kind of always going to be a fizzer and, um, we were just, I think, clinging to some hope that the last day would bring a flurry. And, you know, there was there was a little bit of talk about Lockie Neal. There was a little bit of talk about 
Charlie Dixon um, and some other relatively um, big names that were thinking and contemplating um, moves back to their original clubs, interestingly enough, but none of it really happened. Um, yeah, I think I think Sydney are probably a good place to start and we, we might just bounce around. Um, certainly in the lead up to the trade period, there was a lot of chatter about Sydney being in such a tight spot with their salary cap that they might not be able to keep Luke Parker, which you know certainly felt like this, this, Luke Parker's not the sort of player that Sydney let go. He's not the sort of player who ends up playing at some, somewhere else. And I understand that Dan Hanabry is an employee of the St Kilda Football Club. It might be a little generous to describe him as a player, but... <laughs> <laughs> um that's being that's being churlish um but in the end they've sort of been the, the big player they they carlton have taken george hewitt from from sydney as a restricted free agent sydney had the option to match and didn't um that happened all the way back on october the first george hewitt i mean a good player um Certainly a building block play, but certainly not the sort of thing that becomes the headline of trade week. Um, then Sydney are unable to convince Jordan Dawson to re-sign. Um, he's out of contract, but not a free agent. So Sydney have to deal as a back and forth for the best part of a week and a half, two weeks between Adelaide and Sydney. In the end, Adelaide trade Melbourne's first round pick from next year, which they had gained in an earlier trade uh, to Sydney and Sydney basically come out and say, um, this was the best we could do. So we have to take it. And the preseason draft is an unfair way, an unfair uh, sort of Damocles hanging over a club like Sydney's head, which I thought um, was pretty high on the irony stakes considering the history that Adelaide and Sydney have with Kurt Tippett, considering Sydney just, and Sydney did not have, I mean, Adelaide have a early draft pick in the preseason draft. They, 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 they were in the bottom four this year. Sydney did not have that pick when they walked Kurt Tippett to the preseason draft, but just were not able to satisfy Adelaide back in 2012 or 2013. It was, uh, I think it was 20, it was one of those years. And uh, Sydney just walked into the preseason draft where he was the only player taken in the preseason draft. So a week's a long time in politics and a week's a long time in football, then nine years is an eternity. But anyway, they got something <laughs> for Jordan Dawson. And then 15 minutes to midnight tonight, um, Sydney get Peter Laddams um, and pick 16 for pick 12 and Port Adelaide's third round pick from next year. Um which I think values Laddam somewhere in the late thirties, as a, a, in in terms of uh, draft points. So I don't get the impression that Sydney are under too much financial strain, but Hewitt and Dawson might have cleared certainly cleared more money than they would be they'd have Laddams on, and then maybe the Parker deal was um, a little bit more modest than what Parker was on. So. Sydney sort of loomed 
mid-September as if someone's going to be Collingwood this year, it's going to be Sydney, and it sort of was a non-starter, and Sydney are actually able to bring players in. Yeah, I don't mind the Laddams get, um, and I think you're right, he wouldn't be on um, a heap of money. Um, but it's interesting as well because, you know, to hear um, Eddie speak about, and I think numerous people speak about where the Collingwood situation had got to, um, they described kicking the can down the road um, a little further, you know, back-ending deals and, and um, extending the misery. Um, you know, perhaps Sydney feel that if they if they can do that to find their way away from the buddy deal, um, that, that you know, they'll get some clear air. Um, because I know that I think Callum Mills is on some pretty decent coin next year and Heaney's on some decent coin next year. So maybe you do approach a Luke Parker and say, we definitely want to keep you and you've made some good money here. So maybe you're willing to take a bit of a haircut. And I think we wax lyrical on Joel Selwood's um, ability to play for next to nothing this year and, um, you know, what that allows the Cats to do um, or allowed the Cats to do uh, in bringing in Jeremy Cameron last year, uh, along with a couple of others. So, yeah, it's... um, it's a peculiar one, and I think you know. I, there's a part of me that's just hoping another club um, <laughs> absolutely uh, capsizes uh, in Collingwood fashion, just so I, so that I can um, pass that buck. Um, but yeah, it, it was a little bit of a non-event, wasn't it? It was. It was. Um, I think we're all missing the really big news out of the Laddins deal, and it makes. It makes Tom Hickey to like the Crows in 2023 and become the first five club, five state player in <laughs> AFL history. Much more likely. It's just like where else? Where else have I gone? Where else can I move? Um, look, I, I mean, Port, Port Adelaide have a young ruckman whose name escapes me now. They want to play, and they have Lysette, but Adams it at that price. Um, Seems like he probably should have had a. It should have been more of a, a, a seller's market for uh, Port Adelaide. Um, I think he's a player who's come along in leaps and bounds in the last two years and can also um, play a little bit forward, which is what we what everybody wants to see in a ruckman nowadays. Um, is the ability to um, chip in every now and then and take a mark and kick a goal. So. Um, he he doesn't strike me as in the Nancurvis Mumford uh, mould of a ruckman. So I think Sydney have done pretty well there, and Sydney um, have bounced around uh, with their with their ruck options for many years, and sort of just sort of grafted. And they've got a, they got a, in all seriousness, they got a very good year out of Tom Hickey this year. Mm. Uh, but you would think that Laddams would be their number one when uh, when the gates open next year. Well, I definitely think you can play them both in that side due to, um, you know, Laddam's ability to play forward and, and yeah. maybe um, be a genuine um, key target beyond um, Buddy, which is probably something they're looking for. Mm. Um, and and yeah. what's kept, it's what's kept Hickey in the league, I think, has been his ability to do that too because at a pinch you can play him with another Ruckman. In the team, and obviously, I saw a bit of Higgy's spent more time at St Kilda than anywhere else. So, um, there was a there was there was a time there was a year where where he was played in the same side as uh, Billy Longer. Um, 
that sort of didn't happen very much uh, other than that one year. I think primarily because one one of them was injured pretty much all the time. But mm. um, it's interesting. And it segues into, I guess, one of the other themes of, of the trade week, and that was the, the, the ruck merry-go-round, which happened this afternoon, this evening, um, which we always... You know, it was it, they 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 got around to signing the uh, signing the documentation this evening. This was this was well organised and agreed on principle well before today. Um, basically, Brisbane, Geelong, Hawthorne, and Collingwood. Collingwood get left without the ruckman um, in this uh, four team sort of swapsies, and Brisbane are the team who gain a ruckman. So Brisbane get Darcy Fort from Geelong. Geelong lose Darcy Fort but gain Jonathan Segler from Hawthorne. Um, Hawthorne get Max Lynch from Collingwood uh, but lose Jonathan Segler and Collingwood uh, get a couple of future third-round picks, which I think helps them sort of rebuild some of their draft hand for next year. They tried, tried quite a number of draft picks in the first trade of the trade period was Collingwood trading a whole bunch of first round, a whole bunch of draft picks from next year, I think, um, to the Gold Coast picks this year so that Collingwood would have the points to match any bid on Nick Dacos. Um, this is interesting. I, I think on, I think on the, when I'm watch, when I'll be watching the three of them next year, Max Lynch, Jonathan Segler and Darcy Ford, I'll think, Geez, Geelong have won that trade. Um, but Hawthorne, it's more of a long-term thing, and I think they're paying some of Segler's salary. But it's just interesting because I think unless you've got a guy like Adams or Hickey who we've discussed, and there's a few others around, um, you can only tend to play one Ruckman in your team, one pure Ruckman, and maybe you have another guy who can Ruck for 10 to 15% of the game. Josh Bruce has sort of become... We certainly became that guy at St Kilda and then went to the Bulldogs and did the same thing. As teams try to figure out, you can't play anyone 100% game time anymore. So what, what do you do when your number one Ruckman goes off? Your number one, you know, the, the days of like the 2009 Kilda team where Gardner and King would only ever be, one of them would only ever be on the ground. They're, those days are long gone. You can't afford to have a member of your bench sitting on, or two members of your team playing 50% game time. So trying to find that fit is yeah, interesting. It's, an, but it's, an, it's a very interesting little group of players, isn't it? Because yeah. none of them on paper have set the world on fire. Um, mm. they're, they're classic um, three-club Ruckman types. Um, you know, Segler now finds his third club and has, has been very serviceable, can take a catch, um, you know, arguably it will be a decent fit for Geelong. He's certainly the right side of 30 to be traded to Geelong. Um, <laughs> That's over 30 for those playing at home. <laughs> um, Max Lynch, he showed a bit and he's a fantastic content creator uh, on social media. So Hawthorne fans will enjoy that. Um, the, the, the much publicised game was the Queen's birthday fixture um, where Lynch sort of broke even with um, with Max Gorn the week after he had um, 
played okay for a couple of quarters against Riley O'Brien. Um, and you know, Grundy came straight back in after that, naturally. Um, but I think that that game's being overhyped a little bit by Collingwood supporters. Shock horror. Um, so I think we've done okay out of this one. Um, getting a couple of third rounders back um, in next year's draft, which I think will probably continue to get moved. Um, I think Graham Wright's probably got a couple of ideas uh, on how we can move a couple of these picks that we've got um, in this year's and next year's draft based on when the pick comes or when the bid comes for um, Nick Dacos, um, which every different uh, media uh, person has a different opinion on. Yeah. Um, that seems like a good time to ask this question, uh, Cameron. Mm-hmm. If you're North Melbourne, who do you take at number one? What's the what's the name that comes out of your mouth if you're North Melbourne? If, if I'm North Melbourne, then I'm I'm taking Sam Darcy at one and Nick Dacos at two. That's just me being um, me trying to sort of. <laughs> get one up on my opponents before I get the same bloke anyway. Um, but I don't think it's going to go that way. Um, I think the reason I would do that is to to have a crack at, uh, you know, Western Bordeaux are going to pick Darcy wherever he goes, and they're a strong side currently. So I think that's the best way to get one up on your rivals. And then I think taking Dacos at two is a no-brainer because Collingwood are definitely going to take him. Um, and then you end up with Horn Francis at three. Um, I understand the other school of thought that um, Horn Francis wants to be number one. There's the $10,000 bonus. Um, you know, why, um, you know, why uh, undervalue Horn Francis straight in front of Horn Francis if you're going to end up with him anyway? Why not just say you're, you're our guy? I'm going to take you with pick one. Um, but I just think you could have a really open and transparent conversation with uh, Horn Francis, where you say you are our number one, and we're also going to stiff Collingwood and North Melbourne in the process. Um, I disagree. I, I I think you have to take it number one, whoever you want at number one, because I think, as unlikely as it sounds, there's always a chance that Collingwood or the Bulldogs don't bid. So uh, yeah, I mean, I think it is the case. Um, you know, and and I've even seen clubs kind of speculate uh, publicly that they they may not take a player if, if the bid comes too early and um, and this and that. But, you know, I think we've, you know, the, the moves that Collingwood and the Western Bulldogs have made this year, clearing out first-round draft picks and the like, um, in order to load up with late picks and, um, and use those to draft their, their gun father-sons, um, means that I think you can pretty safely take that risk out of it. Um, yep. If neither of those clubs bid, then they're, they're going to end up with pretty ordinary players instead. So I, I think, but I, I don't think that that kind of vindictive um, trading and drafting really goes on uh, as much as <laughs> we might think or we might. Oh, like. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not accusing the clubs of vindictiveness or anything like that. I just think, you know, some they might get to the line and think the price is too high. Obviously, Collingwood have made all these moves on the assumption that they're going to bid on any day cost bid. So I think that's fair enough. But I reckon 
if you're North Melbourne, the answer to the question who you what the name you read out is if it was an uncompromised draft and there was no academies and no father sons, who's the first name you'd read out? And I think it's I think it's Horn Francis. I think he's the best player in the draft. So why it's interesting. why even I, introduce even a one percent of risk at that? Yep, yep, it's fair. It's, uh, look, I I don't think I don't think um, we'll be harping on this in years to come because. Um, they're going to get their guy. Um, and I think all three of them are going to be really good players. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't think it's going to be as clear cut as, oh, they had to have bid or this and that. You know, Juan Francis is showing against men what a, what a gun he's going to be. Um, recency bias because Nick Dacos has played six games of football in two years um, or not remains to be seen. But I think both clubs can be pretty happy with the first name they'll read out. Before we move on, this is the part of the podcast, having talked about the draft, where I'm contractually obliged to say that the father-son rule and academy should be <laughs> Having gotten that out of the way, <laughs> let's have a look at some of the other deals. Essendon signed unrestricted free agent Jake Kelly from Adelaide. Um, an interesting one. Um, I think that was a bit of a head-scratcher for a lot of people, um, considering... Essendon have a lot of that type. But um, there's some suggestion that Kelly's going to play mostly on smalls. So enabling yeah. Nick Hind to do Nick Hind things. Well, there's certain I wouldn't compare Jake Kelly and Nick Hind. Um, so mm. there, there's an argument that, that they, by, by picking a genuine lockdown defender, you, you, you can free up somebody like that. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure who their lockdown small defender um, is typically or was through this year, but they've obviously identified that as a, um, a spot that they can improve. And I also think sort of criminally underrated. I don't think you play 100 games by accident. Um, so I think he's, he's probably a, a good citizen and, um, and has certainly been a good footballer without, you know, shooting the lights out. Um, I'm gonna, he's going to do his job every week for that footy club. I'm going to stick my neck out and suggest he's probably going to be more reliable than a lot of the, uh, a few other players at Essendon who um, have been up and down and might be coming to the end of their careers at Essendon. But well, I also remember that Tate Pears spent like ended up like at Essendon for like nine years on their list and kept getting kept surviving the cuts. So who knows? But I mean it's a solid pickup. I just I just I don't think many people will be sitting there thinking this and Drains Trust would have been having that meeting in June about who was available and, you know, ooh, Jake Kelly. <laughs> yeah. No, no but a, I, but I there's it's not really the way I feel about any of the deals that have gone through. So there's there's there is an argument for just plugging a gap in your list or one that you believe is there with with someone who's going to do that job every week and mm. you know he 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 could be that kind of best fifteen on your list type of guy and the guy that you just know is going to get the job done for you um, and we'd have to have a look back at um, the Essendon season to see you know as an example. They, that um, first final, they had Cody Waitman, um, you know, and the umpires probably. Um, four, four goals to Waitman, 
um, yeah. may yeah, that's, make that, them feel that Jake Kelly, you know, would have won that matchup. That's not two separate things that Cameron is mentioning there, uh, listeners. That it, it's a job lot for that game. It was Cody Waitman and the umpires. <laughs> a couple of free kicks in the third quarter were, I think, as I tweeted at the time, were the very uh, antithesis of put your whistles away finals football. Um, very technical, let me put it that way. But you know, Essendon were on the end of a shellacking, and I don't want to. I don't want to sound like I'm complaining about that. Um, <laughs> Matty Achol is at Gold Coast. He was the second free agent signing of the period. Um, I wish him every success. Um, but in the normal course of events, a raw, reasonably untried tool. Um, Gold Coast isn't where you want to be sending them. Yeah, it's an odd fit, isn't it? You know, and and four years no less. Um, he he, in some of the football I saw this year, um, I thought that he was he was really starting to put some nice football together. Um, but I wondered whether it was Richmond's system that was kind of allowing for that a little bit. Um, he's taken some nice catches and is very athletic and all that kind of stuff. But I suspect he will still be prone to going missing for large chunks of footy. And yeah, I, I do think that's the wrong environment for a player like that. Um, but who knows? Who knows? Uh, yeah, I just, it, it was a bit of a head scratcher. He's gone to the Gold Coast to be close to his family. So as I said, we should every success. And, you know, I don't think there'll be too many of us who'll be too unhappy if the Gold Coast suddenly became middle of the road competitive. Um, Absolutely. Their win against Richmond uh, this year was one of my more enjoyable matches as a neutral this season. Um, just remembering that Gold Coast have now beaten Richmond in Queensland as the away team, and they've beaten Richmond in Melbourne as the home team. <laughs> but it's been a fun couple of years. Collingwood gained Nathan Kruger from Geelong in a trade where they moved down 14 spots in the draft. Um, again, not terribly noteworthy. How do you feel about that as a Collingwood supporter? Uh, I think it's good talent ID, you know. Um, it's a nice little highlights package, and I know you can't um, get too carried away with highlights, but he, he does some really nice things. He's he's mobile. He's um, he's good below his knees. He's got a raking left foot. He played a couple of games this year for Geelong down back, which sort of says to me that he's got the talent to play AFL, but you're not going to get a game as a as a forward. Um, or, you know, it's certainly not embarrassing to be missing out on one's footy um, behind Hawkins, um, Jeremy Cameron and Gary Rowan. Um, especially home and away footy. So um, I think I think it's pretty shrewd. I know we were interim um, a year ago as well, so um, we've we've carried on watching all of their VFL footy. Um, you know, it's it's nothing to write home about necessarily, but I I I've enjoyed this strategy, um, and it's what I was getting at earlier a little bit in that, you know selling the farm for guys and we you know we kind of did for Adam Trelaw we you know a couple of second round picks for James Aish 
um, and these kind of picks that kind of really compromise your draft hand um, pretty dramatically. And we, we were on a run of doing that for a little while where we were topping up um, with a decent list. Um, but there's something to be said for this kind of talent ID um, and not having, you know, Graham Wright every day comes out and publicly says that there's not a lot of money there um, in the kitty. And, you know, we're still, um, you know, we're still trying to fix up some of the, the mess. But I'd, I'd like to see the club continue doing these kind of things because you can really only win out of trades like this and the Lipinski trade where Lipinski's behind is, a, is a, a really good midfielder and someone who I've always thought was a pretty handy player. Um, not getting a, a game in the Bulldogs midfield behind Bontempelli, McRae, Trelaw, Dunkley, Bailey Smith. You know, it's not it's not embarrassing yet again. And when he does play, his numbers stack up pretty well. So I like that. I think that's a really nice way of recruiting. And, it, it you know, they, they're going to get opportunities. I think um, uh, Kruger will play alongside um, Darcy Cameron up in that forward line, along with a couple of really good smalls. Um, and suddenly the mix is is looking okay. Collingwood successfully acquired Patrick Lipinski on Monday for pick 43. So, yeah, I mean, it's, there's not a lot of... Not a lot of high-end picks moving for either of those players, um, and it's um, it speaks to a, a, a I guess a lower profile identify an asset that might be undervalued by their club and might be available. So when you've got Mitch Wallace and Ed Richards knocking in game of the Bulldogs and Lipinski as well, there's obviously a glut of midfielders at the Bulldogs. You can't play them all at the same time. So someone was always going to, someone was always going to fall out and, you know, and, and that happens at successful clubs. Um, it happened at Geelong in the late two thousands guys like Brent Prismal. So Brett Maloney, the, the guys got guys fell out. So, um, if you can pick up those plays, they can be quite serviceable. So I, you know, that's, that's a good deal. Um, good, two good deals for Collingwood, low profile, and um, but, but the draft hand, and obviously with the draft picks being able to be traded for other draft picks right up until the day of the draft, which we don't know when that is yet. Um, as you as you alluded to, there's still a bit to play out for Collingwood in terms of strengthening their number of points that they have to make sure that they can get Nick Dacos if he is if he is bid on right at the point of the draft. Port Adelaide traded for Jeremy Finlayson for a future third-round pick. Um, Kane Corns came out and said he was not, you know, it was the last thing Port Adelaide needed was another flaky type. Now we know it's not like Kane to be controversial. <laughs> um, I've always liked Finlayson as a footballer, actually. Um I thought he sort of suffered in comparison a little bit of GWS to another Jeremy. He was a sort of another rangy, tall type when they probably, I mean, they probably needed someone of more of Jonathan Patton's, Tom Hawkins size and style to sort of take the next step. And it obviously didn't happen to Patton, but Finlayson goes to Port Adelaide. What I would suggest is Finlayson, there's a, in, in Marshall and Georgiatis, there is, a little bit of sameness there with that type of 
mid to tall size marking forward, not a not a gorilla, not the sort of bloke who's going to stand in the goal square and wrestle and win a win a battle of strength to then mark the ball without his feet leaving the ground. Um, having said that, I'd be interested to see what what a team would look like and how they would succeed if their three forwards were all three key forwards were all that type. It'd be I I'd, I wouldn't mind seeing them run around with Marshall, George Yates, and Finlayson, and no Dixon, just to see what sort of matchup problems or challenges they would give to an opposing team. Because obviously Dixon's honest, but he just hasn't been able to be really elite, which is probably what you need. Well, probably what Port Adelaide need. They need more from Dixon than he can probably provide at this stage of his career. So I'm not sure how you felt about the Finlayson trade, but I think sometimes yeah. sometimes you look at a player and think, yeah, it'd be nice to have him. But then you start to think, we've already got a bit of him. <laughs> so I don't know if it Is makes it... all the sense yeah. in the world. No, it doesn't make a heap of sense, but it's um, they've essentially got him for not much. Hmm. Um, it's a It's a free swing and... You know, perhaps it says more about GWS, who I think, you know, they he plays every game uh, every year for them. So it's, um, you know, I think they're worse off. I don't really understand why they would make that move or agree to that trade. Um, but they have. Um, Is a clearing yeah. out opportunity for someone like Riccardi who didn't play a lot of footy this year? Yeah, maybe they're, maybe they're looking at that and, and Riccardi's direct, um, you know, direction and 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 just sort of feeling like that's a, a no-brainer for for next year um it feels like you can you can sort of make that call before you make it and not have finlayson play those finals and not have finlayson um be in the side most or you know some of the year um yeah and and yeah there, there's now four guys that are you know tall forwards um uh, maybe it's a comment on the game itself um Maybe they feel he's got the capacity to push up to a wing or or play key back, um, because I think I think I know Port rate Marshall pretty highly, and I rate Georgiades quite highly from what I've seen of the young key mm. forwards. The thing is, the key forward discussion is another one altogether because you know Melbourne have won the flag in a pretty dominant display um, with Tom McDonald and Ben Brown um, as the key posts, neither of whom are dominant players. Um, in my opinion, um, but both of them allow a guy like Bailey Fritch to have a dominant year, a 57 goal year and a six goal grand final. Um, yeah. so, Which are both that night, the both of those numbers you mentioned about Fritch are not merely good, they are you know outstanding. Yeah, 57 yeah. goals from a, from a player of his type. Six goals in a grand final hasn't happened in a, in a generation. It hasn't happened in 23 years. It shows you Bailey Fritch's so, talent, but it also, to me, shows the, the, the changing of the guard in some ways. Like, the truly dominant um, key forward of this last, um, you know, 20, uh, 10 years, uh, you know, probably is Tom Hawkins, but there aren't many others that are attempting to play his role and having a great deal of success with it. And Charlie Dixon probably mm. falls in that category where you're not looking around the league and going, he is another dominant big boy that's relatively good below his knees and, you know, he's just good for four goals a game. They just don't exist. 
So these mm. kind of hybrid players may be a really valuable in getting up to the wings. You know, there's still a role for Charlie. Um, but if clubs are kind of looking at Melbourne and what it is about them that was successful, um, you know, the other grand finalist, um, you know, if fully fit, would have gone into the grand final with um, Aaron Norton and uh, Josh Bruce as their key posts. So, you know, neither of those, are, you know, Norton's pretty dominant in the air, but he's not that crash and bash guy necessarily. Um so it's it's just changing. I think they all kind of all the all the good clubs are looking at the landscape and going, if you don't have a Tom Hawkins, if you don't have access to a Tom Hawkins, you know, how do you get the most out of your elite um, mid-sized players? Mm. It'll be interesting to see how things move forward. I mean, I think you can. I think in terms of a, a premiership team profile, Melbourne sort of have switched the mole because I think in terms of that tall player profile, it's been more important to have good key forwards in a premiership side than it is to having a dominant Ruckman. Dominant Ruckman, and they've sort of changed that. You look at Richmond with Rewald, then Rewald and Lynch. Um, you know, West Coast had Kennedy and Darling. Hawthorne had Franklin and Roughhead, and then Roughhead and Gunston. Um the Bulldogs certainly didn't have a dominant record in 2016, but those teams also got by with, you know, men who are never probably going to be named to an All-Australian squad, guys. Like, well, you know, West Coast had Nat Nui out, so they were going with Barty and Lysette. Um, Richmond with Nankervis and Soldo. Um, Hawthorne with McAvoy and Hale and, you know, whoever they could sort of cobble together. And this has sort of changed it. Ruckman... Mm-hmm in the league is the premiership captain and they did it with Ben who North Melbourne drove to the airport this time last year and McDonald's who Melbourne tried to drive to the airport this time last year. So it's, it's interesting as well. It's very you're interesting. Not, you're not going out and getting a Max Gorn like that, that you can hope or you can project that you might end up with one, but he's, it, it was a fluke bit of recruiting and, and an extraordinary football story. Um, it's it's pretty rare to get a Max Gorn. Um, but it, it to, another way that I, I'm reading a little bit about, um, you know, football clubs starting to shape their list and based on Melbourne's success again, but you load up on gun midfielders and you have great intercept key defenders. Um, that's the Melbourne model. You know, Stephen May and, um, and Jake Lever and then Petrarca, Oliver, you know, and these absolutely dominant mids um, uh, it seems to be the way to get it done. And you load your cap up there and you get really, really good role players to kind of stand in front or bash into those intercept defenders. And and having a really clear role um, to play like McDonald and Brown did was, it was what gave them, uh, you know, um, their success. Melbourne, well, speaking of Melbourne, they signed unrestricted free agent Luke Dunstan from St Kilda, for which St Kilda received no compensation. So I don't think Luke Dunstan's on much money. Um, Luke Dunstan had a rather public falling out after the end of the season with uh, Brett Ratton in particular in St Kilda. So, um, And then obviously we got a whole bump up of that story when he finished uh, second amongst St Kilda players in the Brownlow through a hot patch uh, towards the sort of the 
let's say the third quarter of the season. Um, I don't think many St Kilda supporters will be that unhappy that he's gone. I think they wanted to give other players an opportunity and after a five-week hot patch, all the same issues were there uh, with Luke. Um, Having said that, there's every chance that he's the sub next year for a team that wins back-to-back premierships. So, but they had lost Vandenberg, they'd lost Nathan Jones, so they went and got him at, you know, at rates that made the made the trade, made the acquisition worthwhile. Um, a player who was not necessarily available at rate at mates rates was Will Brody. Um, I was wondering your thoughts about this. Fremantle um, got Will Brody and picks 1961-69 in this year's draft for Gold Coast's second round and fourth round. Uh, and Gold Coast got Fremantle's second round and fourth round picks. So basically Fremantle got Will Brody and improved their draft hand just for taking him. Yes, this is one this we haven't a... seen before or very many times in the AFL, the good old-fashioned salary dump. We will... We will pay you drafts and some of his salary if you just take him. So interesting, isn't it? I was looking at this one on paper and couldn't really decipher it because I also think Will Brody can play. Um, hmm. So, you know, perhaps it's it's what we were speaking about earlier and it's an aggressive move to um, sort the cap out. Um, you know, they're, they're now projecting at um, trying to keep a couple of Adelaide boys uh, with a lot of talent uh, in um, Rankin and uh, Lukosius, um that both of the Adelaide clubs are kind of circling around. Um, and Ben King, who I think every Victorian club thinks is going to be playing for them in 2023. Um, so they've got a bit of work to do and they might be projecting and trying to get ahead of that curve. Yeah, it just... It's not a huge thumbs up for Gold Coast's list strategy that they have to downgrade draft picks just and and pay a bloke's salary just to sort of get him off the books. But um, we we might they be did have more they of did it. have more players signed for next season than they were allowed. As in, <laughs> I don't think I think they would have I think they had to trade someone away just so they'd have enough spots open for their draft. So. Um, again, not um, the sort of the sort of um, simple mistakes uh, that are not made by anyone who's played footy fanatics. <laughs> yeah, no, like it's super weird, but I, I I don't think we've seen the last of the of the weirdness. Um, mm. And it 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 could be clubs getting caught out from a COVID perspective too. Fair enough. Carlton traded for Adam Chera. They gave up pick six and a future third round pick. Um, the future third round pick is just so fermental. Look like they won the trade, right? Yeah. There's a lot of this going on. Mm. Like the, We'll get to the Jordan Clark trade as well, but some of the junk picks that get tossed about, you are. You're just trying to have a win um, at the table. I don't think there's anything wrong with pick six for Adam Chera as an idea. Um, except that he was a pick five and they'd put a lot of development into him. So they were probably thinking something else, please. Um, you know, and, and whether you put real value on that something else or not, 
um, might be beside the point. Um, he's but, a nice player. He'll be he'll be handy at Carlton. That's for sure. They also got performance out of him, though. You know, they 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 from Adelaide have invested in him, but they have they have reaped dividend. So, um, I find that interesting. It's like, oh, we put all this into him, so you know, he should be worth more than what we gave up, what we used to pick him. Um, well, only because you you know you you never get you never get dividend to the level um, that you invest from your 18-year-old kid in his first year, or you very rarely do. Mm. You know, Sam Walsh and, and Joel Selwood and guys like this say hello, but, you, you know, you you are investing in him hitting his straps around now and, and really, really showing what he can do. Um, the interest in, in Chera is actually that none of us watch enough uh, Frio football um, to really know what kind of player he is. I've seen some really nice things, but I can't profess to have watched him every week. Um, so I think there'll even be a few uh, Carlton supporters uh, who, who get something of a surprise um, by what they're actually getting. Um, but they they sort of, you know, I like what Frio have done in, in losing Chera. You know, that's, that is a reasonable loss, but their draft hand is really good. Um, they and they've went swap. and got... They went and got Brody and Clark, so they're certainly they've certainly brought more mature talent in rather than just take a couple of steps back um, and improve their draft hand. Um, so that is, I mean, their draft hand is good. Um, it'll be Adam Chera will know about it from five minutes into his first game for Carlton because it'll be the season opener and there'll be eighty five thousand people at the game, and the last thing anyone will be thinking about is. Bloody COVID. Um, <laughs> we hope. The Bulldogs signed Tim O'Brien as unrestricted free agent from Hawthorne. The only thing I want to say to that is in, there were some media reports this year that re, when Tim O'Brien took that mark that referred to him as Hawthorne Youngster, he was an unrestricted free agent. He had qualified for unrestricted free agency. That shocked me, though. I don't know how he's done that. That's the, that is the most... Uh, quiet and unassuming ten years on a list um, that I think I've ever seen. It was um, a it, an eventful ten years at Hawthorne too, of which Tim O'Brien was basically involved in none of it, none of the events, <laughs> except for that mark. Yeah, so, so what a legacy. Um, the old good old. By the way, just before we leave, um, fair uh, value for trades. Weren't Paul Medhurst and Chris Tarrant traded for each other straight up? I don't know if that was. Like there were no draft picks involved. Chris, there was no make weight. I actually think Chris Tarrant. I think. Hang on. Which which trade are you talking about? Tarrant to Fremantle. Yeah, for Medhurst. I thought that was like a straight. I'm not getting my things mixed up, but. No, I think we. I think we clubs used to beat Frio up at the trade table, and you'd have to go back and have a look. But I reckon we might have got pick eight, and something for Chris Tarrant and then got him back ah, for pick so got, 50 got him was, back for pick 55 or something ridiculous that's the it was one of the, the pick you pick used to pick Ben Reed I think is that yeah, pick so that that sounds right the 06 because, draft which was a fair draft yeah well we went we went Reed Nathan Brown and Chris Dawes with pick 8 10 and 28 and just sorted out the premiership spine but mm. um yeah, so no, we that's when that's when clubs used to just say, 
I'll deal with Fremantle. Thank you very much. Um, and we, yeah, we did so well out of them for a little there, while. There Manhurst, is a cottage. Tarrant back, James. There is a cottage industry at this time of year going through Fremantle's. Oh yeah. Uh, to be fair, I think some of the, some of them are like it's like saying, "Oh, Gold Coast Red traded or GWS traded Jesse Hogan." You know, it was one of those things that they had to trade. They couldn't actually mm. take the player. So I don't know if they had access to Lloyd and Lucas and McLeod and all of those. All of them. I think one of them might one of them might have been no, you couldn't have him. You had to trade to get an established player. Mm. I'm thinking it's the Lloyd one, um, who was you know 16 and being hidden in Kevin Sheedy's pocket. Um, but some of them are some of them are horrendous. <laughs> <laughs> And it, and it went went on for a while, you know. I mean, in two thousand, they're trading the number one draft pick in the greatest draft of all time for Trent Crow. Trent Crow, yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, wow, not good business. Um, West Coast, Carlton, and the Bulldogs had a three-team trade that involved. This was reasonable. The Bulldogs just took pick fifty-two. Carlton lost Petrescu's seat and gained Lewis Young and West Coast. Lost pick fifty two and gained Sam Petrescu Seaton. Um, it'll be interesting to see if uh, Petrescu Seaton can become the footballer we thought he would be back in Perth. Ted, that's a strange one, isn't it? I mean, it's it's to watch him, uh, you know, play every position on the ground for Carlton this year and um, wonder what had happened. It was was SPS a pick six or something like that? It's a, it's a it was no, certainly in, top ten. Yeah, in a in a very short amount of time, um, to be traded for pick fifty two or, or essentially traded for um, Lewis Young is it's a bit of a sad state of affairs. It's definitely the name in that trade that sort of sticks out like a sore thumb. So it'll be I, I'll be very interested to see what West Coast can do with him. Um, they're a list that profiles really interestingly, regardless. But um, I think that um, them he he's. He's going to be the poster boy for that era at Carlton. That um, Malthouse into Bolton into Teague. I think in terms of, geez, that and that, um, probably someone like Michael Kennedy, there'll be one GWS bloke who gets picked out, ex-GWS bloke who gets picked out. Um, but that, that drafting slash trade period where Carlton have gone through all these hard draft picks and the strike rate has not nearly been successful enough to the point now. Lane Bokehurst. <laughs> Lane Bokehurst, of course, who everyone still loved um, for about six months because Carlton took Blaine Bokehurst ahead of Hugh Goddard. Um, <laughs> and Hugh Goddard had a very promising first season and then uh, played one game in his second season at Adelaide. We got up and he tore his Achilles. Halfway through the game, and that was pretty much it. Mm. Um, I mean, four or five years ago, you would have had all you would have had all odds about at the end of twenty twenty one. See, the the in a draft where St Kilda had the number one pick, the bloke who will still be at the club and will be playing his best football will be Daniel McKenzie. <laughs> that you, you write your own ticket. Yeah. Oh, and he'll be he'll be goal kicker. <laughs> yeah, that's just a whole heap of no thanks. 
Um, yeah, yeah, Paddy McCartan. But oh, the twenty fourteen, wow. the twenty twelve and twenty fourteen drafts just um, the twenty fourteen draft, except for like the the guy who's just won the Norm Smith Medal has been named, and Robbo's just named number one in his top fifty. Um, which by the by the way the the fans had Bolt number one, so it's well, they were both pretty handy on the day, weren't they? And we just ran that experiment in real time. Um, North eventually traded uh, Robbie Tarrant for Callum Coleman-Jones. Um, we now at North Melbourne play the when are you going to stop playing, Todd, so I can play game. <laughs> they've got Coleman-Jones. They've got who didn't get to where he wanted to get to. They've got um, is it Campbell who's been passed around from every team? Mm. Um, he's still there. Um, it's interesting, but Tarrant goes to Richmond as the David Asprey replacement. Um, and he's still a very good player, Robbie. Tarrant. There were picks involved. But you're, there were picks involved. Up, involved in that trade. If you're, I mean, up, there was a few articles going around that basically have no choice but to load up, and they've got a they've got a decent draft hand this year. So load up. They haven't traded out of their draft hand this year. So they've actually added to it with Chol walking. So they lose Cole and Chol, which is a problem, but they're going to take a tall forward at some stage in the draft. Um, move the chips to the table for this year. For next year, uh, try and get everyone back. Talk of Dusty Martin moving back into more of the midfield because he's lost 10 kilograms because of his kidney injury. Um <sighs> By the I mean, way, the total, total. By the way, total tangent of all the Brian doesn't know what he's talking about moments this year during game of football. Um, Brian insisting that Dustin Martin had hurt his ribs was just that took the cake. I'm I was screaming at the television. He's hurt his kidney. It was just obvious from immediate pain that he was in, and the fact he couldn't. He's like he's injured his kidney. He's he's lacerated his kidney. No, no, it's his rib. Um, I want to play Operation with Brian Taylor. You know the game where you have to take the bones out of yeah. the thing, get the electric shock? Because his and his anatomical expertise is almost as good as his football expertise. We have to get into that in the off-season, I think, just a special let's get stuck into the state of football broadcasting. Just give it yeah. its own time. Put a moat around it. Just... Just do it once for all so we don't have to talk about it anymore. Um, yeah, so then on to the last day, we've talked about Dawson. We've talked about the ruck merry-go-round. We've talked about Laddam. So the one we haven't talked about is Jordan Clark and a future fourth-round pick to Geelong for pick 22 and a future third-round pick. Again, the swaps of the future picks seems to be just trying to make it look like no one lost the trade. But... Um, I don't know who's overvaluing Jordan Clark, but it's somebody. Yeah, it's well, it's I think it's both clubs. You know, in this circumstance, I don't really understand how Geelong can hold on for that long. You know, there's been a lot of talk that they just get in there and get their deals done, but I, I don't know. Like to me, it, I, I don't. <laughs> again, I'm going to be careful with my Geelong, um, my anti-Geelong stuff, but I, they, they've. They have not had 
a good couple of weeks um, or a good couple of months, really. Um, they've traded out two young guys and brought in an old guy um, to a list that's the oldest um, and, and is just so close to tipping. All their assistant coaches are gone, uh, including Matty Scarlett, which surprised me. Um, and, yeah, Jordan Clark's one of these young fellas. But having said that, they, they gripped on really tightly, even though he had absolutely no interest in going back to Geelong. By all reports, it was pretty awkward. He was over in WA with his manager already and just wanting the trade to get done. Geelong aren't playing him in the ones. So yeah. where they were where they were relatively okay with moving Kruger on nice and early in the trade week, I don't know why this one lingered on. Um, it's very strange. Um, and it just seemed like Geelong felt that with Frio's nice draft hand, they, they could get their hands on a better pick. There are all those picks kind of in a row. And maybe they felt like they could get 19 instead of 22 or, you know, whatever it was that they were haggling for. Um, but, yeah, it's I think 22 is probably slightly overpaying for, for a kid that was drafted high but hasn't really ever shown it um, on game day. Um, for the ones, I should say. And potentially, um, you know, someone on the outside and with a bit of pace uh, it'll be interesting to see whether he goes any better at Frio. Yeah, I mean, he's clearly not in their age profile, but um, we kid. Um, <laughs> I just, I just feel like at some stage they, they, I just don't know which midfielder who was drafted by Geelong in the last five or six years they've really given a fair shake. Mm. Yeah, other than probably Parfit. Um. Who's a very good footballer and was missed by Geelong in the prelim. Um, but to be fair, they probably also missed Gary Ablett and Billy Goggin the way they played um, and the way Melbourne played. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 every chance that we'll be sitting here four weeks in the next season and saying, well, the tipping point happened, you know, two minutes into the third quarter of the prelim and boy, did it tip. Um we might not be saying that because they played three out of their first four at GHNBA. Um, I thought that was a trade. Again, it sh- probably should be done earlier, but now with everything that's going on in, in the media and the cycle, with, you know, trade radio and all that sort of stuff, it's just like, oh, we, ca- we can't have them talking about how he lost a trade for seven days because it's straight, because it's just not that much to talk about. So, um, and this week there wasn't. Um, What's interesting is there wasn't a lot. There wasn't a huge long list, considering that there not many trades did get done. There also wasn't a huge long list of trades that fell through or didn't get done. I guess the um, highest profile was probably Bobby Hill. Um, Bobby Hill is an interesting to, one, isn't he? Who wanted to get to Essendon, um, who aren't short of small forwards. If you consider Devin Smith one, um, and pretty good quality ones to be to be truthful um but a future second was offered in gws he's not, we had him under contract and they said no and that was basically where it ended it was it was quick um i don't think too many people were surprised that essendon weren't able to accommodate a trade they have a well-earned reputation as being the toughest team to deal with in trade period <laughs> mm. um they didn't make a trade in this trade period they just brought in jake kelly as free agent which makes you know trading easier 
Um, but there's a play you wanted to come and he might be available in 12 months' time, but the conversation in 12 months' time will be Essendon will have a, a better bench because he'll be out of contract, but he won't be a free agent, which means that there'll still need to be a deal. So There's a that, player that, every year. That, that second round pick's probably not, not Yeah. Yeah, there's a player every year that helps us have this discussion, but I don't really understand um, a player nominating one Victorian club in order to get home and be closer to his family. Um, if that's if that's the main thing that's at play for you, nominate Victoria and let GWS go to work and secure the best trade available for you. Um, hmm. It. You know, we 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 often talk about this, but um, I, I just you know to to hear from um, Bobby Hill's manager following the end of trade week about how he was a bit distraught and a bit sad to not be you know to have to return to GWS and he'll likely consider the move next year as well. It's like, well, just nominate Victoria because there are clubs out there who would love to bring in um, a live wire. Um, talented uh, small forward um, and who will bring you closer to your family. Um, I just don't, I don't really see the need to nominate um, one Melbourne club over another. Um, I can certainly see why you might not want to go to a particular club in Melbourne as an example, but to write off nine of them because you want to go to one of them, something's not right about that. I don't think. Um, And, Often I feel similar about players that just desperately, like the idea that Lockie Neal would be willing to come back to Perth, but only to Fremantle to raise his kids or whatever. I don't, I don't, I just don't like it. And 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 you you've probably got an opinion on this, but um, I think I think that players should be guaranteed their tenure, um, but clubs will will get um, one back on what's been lost, I guess, um, if. Um, players you know aren't necessarily while in contract able to choose the club that they play for or the state that they live in in a national competition i I think i think to the clubs outside of victoria it's a little different because the the binary proposition makes things a little bit difficult different a bit different so i mean Lockie neil is a unique situation because once he one he's played for Fremantle and and two, I think it was pretty clear early on that West Coast couldn't accommodate him. So it, it you know, that's 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 it, you know. Um, Chol going, you know, his family's on the Gold Coast. It's not, it's not, a, it's not. His his family don't live in Brisbane. They're not. They're not the same place. Um, no, that's but right. with the, Vic- they're, they're the Victorian club, especially against, especially considering Bobby Hill's cousin plays for a diff- does plays for a Victorian club that's not Essendon. Um, I thought it was. I thought it was interesting. I usually don't have mu- as much. I don't have as much of a problem with players nominating a specific club in Victoria as others because I basically don't see a way around it. Um, until until players can be traded against their will, um, I don't really see a way around it, especially if the player is contracted. Um, you're like, oh, can you facilitate my trade to here? And I'm like, no. And then okay, I'll stay. And obviously now, Colin. You're- radio on the wireless this evening and said look he's not he's not over the moon about going back to gws but 
Um, they start playing some good footy. That might turn them around. And we have had situations where players have been pretty much one foot out the door and been brought back from the big. Most famously, Ryan O'Keefe in 2018 wanted to go to Hawthorne. Um, trade didn't get done, and he ended up winning a Norm Smith medal in 2012 against Hawthorne. So, well, Josh Dunkley a year ago as well. You know, like it, it does yeah, happen that, that that players fall back in love with their clubs, but it's um, I just think you know if you're hell bent on getting back to Victoria, you can do so. The the Dunkley one might be the all time win win no trade. Um, because Essendon were able to use that exceptional draft hand last year to bring three and bring in three pretty good players, and last then twenty season twenty twenty one went pretty well for Essendon on on the whole. The other one, which is the one, there's always one that comes out of left field, um, was Luke Bruce going to GWS, which, according to some reports, was a done deal until Luke Bruce said, "Oh, I'm not going." So that was that was very interesting. And would have been would have been an amazing move, wouldn't it, if Luke Bruce went up to GWS to and it, and apparently it was for pick up. thirteen. It was yeah. It was so that, that's a that, lovely price. No wonder Hawthorne said yes. Yeah, but. I, that's, but it's there. I mean, they're so interesting. Like to to hear about Hawthorne this last you know week and a half. And if you believe everything you hear, I suppose, and everything you read, um, very peculiar. Can the you imagine that Sam Mitchell was was shopping around his senior players, and that Wingard and um, O'Meara and Tom Mitchell were up for grabs if anyone was interested, and nobody was. And Hawthorne, you know, like I've got a cross next to Hawthorne's name for the trade period. Um, and on, on paper, people might go, they didn't do anything. But that's, I guess, the whole point, because they were they were sort of out there as if they wanted to improve their draft hand, and they haven't. They were the one team um, who had the mature players who would have been attractive to other clubs looking for that one piece to put them over the top in a premiership run and the incentive to move them on. Mm. Um, that's normally... One, that's normally a pretty good um, situation for it happening. And two, the club that's done this the most in the past is Hawthorne. Mm-hmm. And yet, somehow, it didn't happen. And uh, Wingard didn't get off the ground because they picked the one club in the entire league who Wingard had sworn never to go to. <laughs> um, I don't necessarily know why O'Meara... And Mitchell didn't get off the ground. Um, but just hazarding a guess without any of the information that might come out over the next days that the Hawthorne's asking price was probably too much. Um, and, Bruce, and Bruce didn't happen because Luke Bruce didn't want to go to GWS, um, which, is, which is interesting. But Hawthorne with... What have they got? They've got a, they've got a high pick. Yeah, pick four, they pick, pick five. I'm just, I'm just going to go to the videotape. I've got I think pick it five. might be pick five. Yeah, and and there's a bit of talk around that they're still keen to um, shift that, maybe to package it up and move up to maybe as high as pick two. I think they like um, Finn Callahan. That that I think they like him as a player. Um, they may feel because you know, pick five is pick seven. Um, there are there are two father sons that definitely go before pick five. So, um, you know, maybe it's not as good a pick as as they would 
like it to be, or as it is in other years. Uh, and maybe they feel that they won't get Finn Callahan at pick seven, which is probably right. Pick pick five and pick thirteen is roughly the same number of draft points as pick one. It's a little bit over. So, um, just saying. But famously, um, uh, and that, that might have been the plan. Worth talking about the other thing that's worth talking about actually out of trade week is the Godfather offers for North's pick one, which were refused. Um, and I, I think you'll find that no matter what those points equaled, North would tell them to get stuff. Well, it had to have been an established player. Yeah, that's right. I think the, the grandfather offers were all, here's, the, here's like the Ricky Williams deal of the 99 NFL draft. It was like, for this pick, we will give you 10 draft picks and half of them are really good. Um, it needed to be, it needed to involve, the, 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 the offer needed to involve the finished product um, if North Melbourne were going to be interested. Um and it was probably going to have to be pretty good. It was probably going to have to be all, all, all Australian quality. I mean, I don't think North Melbourne have ever had their hand on a first, a number one draft pick. So um, no, they haven't. I saw a Swamp yeah. tweet the other day that 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 was um, um, games played by a number one draft pick for each club, and North Melbourne are sitting at yep. zero. So they haven't even brought one in from another club to play a single game for them. So yeah, they, they, I mean, they're feeling pretty good about that. Um, uh, certainly. Um, but yeah, it, you know, some of these offers were enormous with, um, with, uh, with Adelaide, uh, and, and Richmond tabling some really nice, um, groups of picks, but I think you're right. The interesting thing is, I wonder if, if clubs had called North Melbourne and said, righto, um, you can have the guy that you, you know, cause they, they lined up with their supposed war chest a little while back and, um, looked at Jordan Degoe. Um, looked at Josh Kelly. And I reckon Collingwood and GWS would both potentially entertain trading those players for the number one draft pick, um, considering where their lists are at. Um, and with, you know, GWS is glad of midfielders and Dego is hitting his straps, but, you know, he's been just about more trouble than he's worth up until now. So um, pretty rare to to trade the number one draft pick, but those are both guys that they had their eye on. Mm. Yeah. It, 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 I think North Melbourne, I think that tells you all you need about, uh, about what the North Melbourne have picked, have got their guy, which is, I think, I think them knocking back the grandfather offers um, for whatever um, small amount means. I think it's more likely they're just going to pick their guy at one. Um, I think that's almost almost guaranteed now that um you know most most people most pundits pundits rather seem to think that um they are taking Horn Francis at one um and they're really really comfortable with that yeah and and some of those offers look really good on paper but it's it's not as simple as that as long as you define that the difference between pick one and four this year is you know. It, it's not as simple as what those picks look like on paper. It's the players you believe you can get with those picks. Um, yeah. So, you know, as an example, Sydney may feel that by um, trading pick 12 out and getting pick 16 in return, they might end up with the same player. Um, but that would not happen by trading pick one for pick four and the rest. Fair enough. Well, we've, we've managed to do an, well over an hour of... <laughs> 
talking about a trade period where the where Jordan Clark might have been the third most high profile player who moved. <laughs> um, depending on how you feel about Luke Dunstan or George Hewitt. So that is that is a wrap. Now <laughs> I think I think we need to give the people what they want. Um the Cricket T20 starts this weekend, the World Cup. We're well overdue, so I think we have to get back on the horse next week and do a long-awaited cricket pod. What does that sound like? I'm putting you on the spot. Hey, that sounds brilliant. I'm always up for chatting about cricket, though. Yeah. My, um, my, my thoughts projecting to a T20 World Cup are probably completely useless because... Really? Uh, you don't anyone... have a thought about who's going to win between Oman and Papua New Guinea on Sunday night? <laughs> Quick, let's do the podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> I've got lots of takes. Anyway, yeah. that, well, the, the group stage, the initial group stage will have started by then, but we, we, we'll talk about many things. We won't just talk about, we'll give some thoughts about where the Australian team is at, I imagine, and and, and, why, and who, we, who we like. Um. But we'll also talk about there's a whole bunch. It's been almost two years since we did cricket pod, so um, it's well overdue. So until then, Cameron, thanks for joining us. Good on you, Panna. And uh, we'll catch you then on the podcast. It should go without saying.